The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favorite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Kadrick Olson is an author, speaker, and teacher who specializes in alternate paths of spiritual growth. From early childhood and throughout his life, Kadrick Olson has led a paranormal life, from seances at an early age to a lifetime of esoteric and occult practice, including runes and Norse mysticism. He's ideally suited to help you discover your own sacred path through the life you are always meant to have. Author of Runes for Transformation, published by Red Wheel Wiser, taps into the depths of your mind to connect with the runes within to affect the world around you. Founder and composer of Galdra Craft, combining runes, ritual, music and magic for an immersive experience in the power of rune song. To find out more about Kadrick, please visit his website, kadrick.com. That's K-A-E-D-R-I-C-H dot com. Kadrick, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you, brother? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me here. Excited about this. We're going to talk some magic today, and I would love for you to be able to explain the type of magic that you do out in the world. Absolutely. At first, it might seem like what I do is a little bit wacky, woo-woo, strange and weird, and I will definitely own up to that. I, I'm as strange and weird as it can come, but it's got to be practical. So for a good majority of my life, I've studied Norse mysticism in the original Old Norse language, as well as the practical real-world 
modern time application of this. And this includes using runes and runes, not necessarily as a form of divination, but runes as psychological archetypes and frequencies that we can tap into to change our inner world and have that reflected on the outer world. As well as I do seances and paranormal protection work, because there's definitely something going on in the spiritual realm with these beings. I definitely hold that we live in a paranormal world and we need to learn how to peacefully coexist with that. And I also do a lot of shadow work, which is getting down into the deep, dark parts of the psyche and making friends with the parts of ourselves that we don't really like or want to acknowledge so that we can discover the golden gifts that we've been holding on to and hiding for a good part of our life. Mm, I love that explanation. And I want to start off with the runes because it's something new to me. And I would love for you to explain what runes are. And I love the word that you used in there with frequency in regards to runes. So take us on that uh, down the rabbit hole of the runes and the frequency, brother. Absolutely. At the most basic level, runes are the written form of the Old Norse and Proto-Norse languages. It is actually where we get a lot of our own letters for our own alphabet, like B, C, S, T, I, R. These all come from runic letters. They have the exact same shape and they have the exact same sound to the point where if I were to show you a thousand-year-old runestone with a word like brother or sister on it, you would be able to translate that stone and see those words said it the exact same way as they have been for over a thousand years, written almost the exact same way. But runes go a little step further besides shape and sound, is that every letter, every rune has a meaning to it, has an energy to it. So for example, let's use the rune Urus. It's the second rune of the runic alphabet called a Futhark. And Urus is the letter U sound. It's that U sound. But it is a rune that represented at one time an ancient bison in Europe that was called the Aurochs. So think about something that is primal and powerful and strong. Just think of all of that pure vitality and strength that exists in such a primal being. And that is the energy that Urus has. So how does that apply to us? And this is how I teach people to use runes is let's say you're in the gym. And you want to lift weights and you're, for example, you're going to work for a new personal record. You want to get a new PR. You could think of Urus. You think of that strength of the bison. You think of the strength of that buffalo flowing through you, going into your muscles. And you say to yourself, Urus, Urus, Urus. And you suddenly have that strength flowing into your muscles so that you're able to make that next movement so that you can get stronger with that next move because you're now flowing with that energy, that primal strength energy of Urus. And saying it is the key part is because in the, an Old Norse tradition, the old, old way of working with runes is a form of magic called Galder, which is literally singing the runes. Because every rune, like we talked about, has a phonetic value, like Urus has that ooh sound to it, that you could tap into the frequency, you can tap into the energy and the intention of that rune by thinking, by feeling, by experiencing what that rune means to you, just like we did with Urus. You think about the strength, you feel the strength and the primal essence, and you sing Urus to bring that primal strength to life 
within you so that you can take that next step. You can do that next movement that you need to do. And you've got that flowing through your body and your being. How did you get attracted to this philosophy, if that's the correct word, or this, this way of life? Ah, it started when I was a kid. My parents were very open to me exploring different routes of spirituality. I had a basement full of books. I could read anything I wanted to. And one of the books that I was really attracted to was Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. And he describes the philosophy and teachings from many different mystery schools, like the Eleusinians, the Masons. And one of the schools that he talked about was the Odinic Brotherhood, which doesn't really exist today, but I was really fascinated by this Norse culture that he talked about. At the same time, as I was exploring different traditions and different things, I got my first set of runes, and it really sang to me how they worked. I was also reading a book called The Way of Weird by Brian Bates, and I'm like, wow, this is that whole same thing. And let's face it, I was a teenager. I still have long hair, right? I was listening to some crazy, crazy music. And one of the bands I was listening to is Sabbath, and they had an album based off The Way of Weird by Brian Bates. And it was just like all of these pieces of this Norse culture and the runes all fell in place at the same time. It all resonated strongly with me. And I said, okay, great. If I want to understand what the teachings are of all these different spiritual paths, all of these mystery schools, I need one control group, one solid ground that I'm set foot on that I could study deeply and intently and understand it completely. And it's going to be runes. And that started, you know, I was 13 years old, maybe. I think it was about the right age. And over the years, as I, I got into it, I learned the language as best as I could. I translate Old Norse poetry from a mystical mindset rather than just a literary mindset. So I can try to tap into what were the old people thinking back then? What were they feeling? And what was their mystical understanding of the world around them? And that's not good enough. How does it apply to today's world? How can we use that information? And so that's the whole basis of how I got into it, and my philosophy surrounding it. Fantastic. So let's take us back through a journey in history. How mm -hmm. far back does this go? From my best understanding, the oldest dated rune stone is around 250, 200 years BCE. So 200 years before Christ, if we want to go that way. So it's really not old when we think about like Egyptian hieroglyphs or maybe even Mayan carvings. I don't know. So it's only around 2,000 years or so, but it is an integral part of the language and an integral part of the mindset for this culture. And how many people still live by this culture or use it as a part of their day-to-day -day lives and, I guess, their spirituality? Here's a very interesting thing. Overtly, the heathen movement, the, the Norse pagan movement is growing. It's still in the low thousands of people throughout Scandinavia, Europe, the US, Australia, New Zealand, definitely is growing. But if you remember, I was saying that letters like C, S, T, B, I are in our language today. There are certain runic words that are in our language today, like the rune dagas is literally where we get the word day from. The word yera is where we literally get the word year from. There are several examples of runic words that are part of our English language. Days of the week, like Tuesday, is for the Norse god Tyr. Wednesday was Woden's Day, Odin's Day. 
Thursday is Thor's day. Friday, Freya's day. It's ingrained into our mindset. It's ingrained into our subconscious. And it's a subversive part of our culture in the Western world. I never knew that. And it's so interesting. Yesterday, I think it was, I got an email from a dear friend of mine called Paul Check, who has been on the podcast before. And I've, I've spent some time with Paul as well. He's a great I, guy. He is a beautiful man with, a, with an incredible brain and perception of the world. And he's, he sent me an email and saying, you and him have just recorded a podcast. I want to connect you guys. And this happened at the same time I was having a spiritual energetic healing from a remote source. And the person that I work with is a lady called Yvette from time to time. And she always pulls out a card, some sort of spiritual card in which to base the intention or whatever needs to be worked on for that time. And she pulled out one card and it was Odin. Uh -huh. Over the time that we've worked together, nothing has ever come from that mythology before. And as soon as I came out of the session with her, I went onto my computer and I saw that email from Paul Check talking about, <laughs> talking about <laughs> this mythology. And I was like, okay, those two things have coincided within a space of an hour or two. And, and that's always a sign for me to go like, okay, there's something in this for, for not only me, but also who knows what will come of this. So talk to me about Odin and what you think about me or her pulling that card from, from, my, from my journey yesterday. Well, first off, I totally agree with you. Look for moments of synchronicity when things just seem to be inexplicably connected and they just go together. There are no coincidences. They're a sign. You're doing the right thing. You're on the right path, headed in the right direction. So you're right about that. Definitely pay attention to those moments of synchronicity. Now, Odin, at the simplest level, he is the high god. He is the leader of all of the deities, of all the gods. He is what is called the Aesir, which is like, there are two forms of deities in the Norse tradition, the Vanir, which are more of the fertility, nature-based deities, or abundance and growth and sexuality. And then the Aesir are more human-based of communication, of commerce, of trade, of creating and building things, even of warfare. So they deal with human sort of concepts. And Odin is the high one of that one. Now, a lot of the people try to say, you know, Thor is the god of war, that sort of thing. It's, it's not necessarily true. Thor is more of a god of protection and blessings. When it comes to warfare, that's taking on two different roles. There's Tyr, which is more of the warrior on the field who is dealing with tactics and what needs to be dealt with in the moment and the discipline and the structure that goes through that one. But when it comes to the big picture, the grand scheme of things, what are the resources that need to happen here? What is it that we're really doing? Do we need to lose this over here so we can win this? What are the things that have to happen and how do we manipulate things at the bigger picture? That's Odin's work. He's very much in a leadership role. So he has the huge 10,000-foot view of how the world works, how all of the pieces and parts connect together, and what needs to happen over here to make this big picture happen over here. He's also a god associated with communication, awareness, understanding, and magic. So 
when it comes to leadership skills, being able to talk to somebody, to teach, to communicate, and to really step up into that position of authority, not as a dominating control freak authority, but as an actual leader that understands and can communicate and can inspire. That is very Odinic. So fascinating. I'm enthralled by this. I was looking at my social media just before we hopped on here and someone was accusing me of being a leader, but not teaching people about what it is that I'm wanting to share. And I I responded saying, I'm not here to spoon feed anybody because that seems to be the way that our education system has been built recently, where we sit there, we take in information and then we regurgitate it. And I politely said, this is the time now for people to empower themselves and educate themselves by looking outside of a leader to teach them. You have to find the answers for yourself. I don't know whether that fits into Odin's <laughs> philosophy, but uh, it was really, really telling of you all of this stuff. And, and like you, I, I look for signs. I'm looking for these types of signals. And I would love to understand how do you teach people? How do you guide them on their journey? That's a perfect way to segue from what you were talking about. People do not need to be spoon-fed information. We need to be critically thinking and evaluating and questioning and growing for ourselves. We live in a world that is so abundant with information that anything you want to learn is at your fingertips if you go and get it. So if somebody were to come to me asking about the runes or asking about this or that, I'll always test, and I'm, I'm kind of giving away a secret here. I'll always test, and I'll give them some things to look up, but I won't tell them to go look it up. I'll just throw out some mysterious little concepts and ideas out there. And if they come back to me, well, what is that? Tell me about it. Elaborate on that. Tell me more. And I'm like, no, no, you're not going to be a student. You're not going to be somebody who learns from this one. But if I give you a little nugget of information, you're like, wow. What is that? And then you come back with questions on it because you've done your research, you've done your digging into it. I'm like, there's somebody that we're going to get along with just fine because you can take that step on your own. You've got that initiative to find the information for yourself and come up with the right questions to ask. And that's exactly another part of how I teach people is if I ever give you an answer or if you ever find an answer, we're wrong. You don't want answers. I want to try to teach you how to ask better questions so that you can keep unraveling the mystery upon mystery upon mystery. And if you get better and better questions, then you're on the right pathway. I love it, brother. Thank you so much. You mentioned mystery schools as one of your first, as a 13 year old boy, discovering that work in those books. And Mm -hmm. mystery schools is another thing that's popped into my awareness over the last, I would say, week to two weeks, about three or four times. It's come into my conscious awareness. And what are mystery schools themselves? Because I've heard that they can be used for for good, but they can also be used for the opposite and everything in between. So talk to me about this. Well, when we talk about mystery schools and exactly as you said, could be used for good or evil or everything in between, we need to examine the word occult. Occult in modern terms tends to bring connotations of dark and mysterious and evil happenings of people standing around in dark robes with black candles and smoke filled in the air and conjuring of all sorts of negative entities. Well, that's not what the occult is. 
Occult means hidden. It, like when the moon occults Mercury, that means the moon is going in front of Mercury. You cannot see Mercury. You're hiding something. Now, the mystery schools over the years for various reasons, and I'll, I'll explain these various reasons, kept their teachings hidden from the public at large. Primary reason for that one is as you get to the deeper teachings, the, the human psyche, unless it is grown and developed for some of these deeper teachings, it really can't handle that. So what is it that they're teaching? They're teaching the way that the subtle parts of our mind, not necessarily the brain, but the subtle parts of our mind connect with the subtle parts of reality, not just the spiritual world, but the little undercurrents that govern how our world works, the cause and effect, the whole causality of everything, and the very fabric of creation and existence, and how our perception of that internally affects the external. And if you give that kind of control to somebody right off the bat, it's not that they're going to misuse it or they're going to abuse it or they're going to get power hungry. It's literally going to kind of like fry their mind and they won't be able to handle that sort of processing. It's just like we grow up in this tiny little world where you have to touch something to move it. You have to cause an exact effect on something directly instead of changing the way you perceive, changing the way that you feel and expect the world to work, and then watching the world transform around you. And that's ultimately what mystery schools are teaching, is they're teaching the subtle layers of reality and how reality works and how that reality interacts with our consciousness. The other reason why that they had to go occult and hidden is because of power control dynamics throughout the ages. At one point in time, sure, the ministry schools could be open to anybody who had the ability to perceive it. Let's you know think of a shaman that already can experience the nonlinearity of the spiritual world. Fine, they get into the mystery schools. But now we got more controlling governments. We got more controlling religious dogma that comes in. There were some, uh, still are some religious groups that if you are not following their religious doctrine to a T, then let's say you get burned at the stake. You know, there's a lot of persecution to the point of death. And so these schools had to go underground if they wanted to teach what they needed to teach. Think of the alchemists. The alchemists weren't just talking about turning lead into gold. They were talking about turning the base person, the average general person, into a spiritually enlightened being. That's what lead to gold really means. And all of their hidden chemical processes are all spiritual transformative processes. But the church would not allow that. The church considered that heresy. And anybody who was practicing alchemy was the work of the devil, and you would be burned at the stake, you would be destroyed, and you would be killed. So this had to go underground and stay secret. And because of the secretive underground nature of that one, and then the control dynamics of the religious dogma, we got the misunderstanding that this is negative, this is evil, this is bad. When truthfully, magic cannot be good or evil. It can't be bad, light, dark, whatever. Magic is magic. It's what you do with it. Now, I give the example of you can have a screwdriver, right? You can use a screwdriver to put some beautiful shelves on your wall so you can put some nice decorative items and keep your books organized. And it's a great tool for that. Or you can use that screwdriver and throw it at somebody and put a gash in their head. It's just a tool. How do you use it? And now the person who's more skilled with a screwdriver can put the shelves on the wall. The person who's less skilled with a screwdriver would throw it across the room. 
Same way with magic. The more skilled magician, the more skilled that they are at these mysteries, the more beautifully they can create something wonderful in the world. And the people who are less skilled at it tend to do some really stupid things with it. And it comes hmm. back to bite them. It was so interesting. I was reading something just then about, I mean, we're talking today, what's happening in America. They've got the uh, FBI files on General Flynn that have just been released. The FBI is being investigated for their deception, so to speak. And, and I was lying outside just before reading about that. And the line said that they've deceived and persecuted General Flynn, President Trump, and the American public. And when that happens, my sort of spirit animal is the Ibis. And three of them flew right over the top. And it was like the three things that were being deceived with these three beautiful birds just flying over the top of me. I said, thank you. And that brings me to where I wanted to ask you in regards to mystery schools and the occult. But do you think there's any legitimacy in that some of the governments of the world or some of the players are still partaking in any of these mystery schools? Or is that uh, a conspiracy? I honestly don't know. I'm certain that there is some influence on some of these. Like I do know for a fact, I won't name any of them, but I know for a fact there are some certain business leaders who themselves are not directly practicing magic and who themselves are not directly in the mystery schools, but they are connected with some of them and workings are done to help them to keep them safe and to help promote their business and that sort of thing. So to think that that would happen at the government level, sure. I'm certain there's some of that going on, but I'm not convinced about the theories of like the Illuminati. You know, the real Illuminati was actually a much more of a beneficial organization than the stories of what the Illuminati are. And for powerful government figures and the occult and even some of the allegations, let's say satanic abuse, I'm, I'm super skeptical because it, it doesn't seem to work that way. There's like a, a law of reciprocity that seems to be out there. And I don't mean like the threefold law, like the Wiccans say that like you do one thing in one direction, it comes back on you three times. We're all interconnected. We are all a part of the collective unconscious. So when we do something with, let's say, even a negative intent, it mars us in some way. We do something with a positive intent. It helps us and it grows us in some way. And to think that there's somebody playing at a huge level with negative intent, I'm skeptical. I'm not sure about that. I, I can be convinced, but I'm not sure. Mm, I'm really glad that you said that because quite often I believe that or what I've read is that no one's really driving the bus here, so to speak. I guess everyone wants someone to blame. Like you said, the Illuminati or the deep state or this or that. I just think there might be some corrupted individuals that, uh, and corporations that value money over other people's well-being and potentially get themselves in a position where they've got nowhere to move except potentially... Um, self-sacrifice. And I don't mean that in a physical sense, but in a reputational sense. And I see that we're possibly seeing a little bit more of that start to surface now. Exactly. And that's one of the things I do love about the modern era is we do sometimes eschew that we are losing privacy. And in a lot of sense, that's really true. We're giving up a lot of privacies for modern conveniences, but there's also a positive side to that one is people can't really hide anymore. 
You could have somebody that has this public face that they're glowing and shining and wonderful, but underneath the surface, they're a psychopath and they're causing all sorts of harm and problem out there. But with the way that the world is right now, the way the internet is with bloggers, with everything going on, is you can't hide that subversive, destructive behavior anymore. One way or another, it's going to come out. And yes, the media is going to keep spinning things in different directions because that's the nature of media. But who we really authentically are, it's, it's getting harder and harder to hide that. And I think that's a very good thing. What you were saying before, some of the work that you do is around negative energies or entities might be the correct word. So how does that work? And how does somebody, how can you explain that to somebody that would think, uh, come on, mate, you, you, that couldn't be real. So talk us through what a negative entity or energy could be and what it looks like and how do you work on that? Absolutely. Let's use the example of, let's say, a haunted house where there's a bad, awful feeling going on. There are cold spots in there. Things may be moving. Somebody could even be getting scratched. Weird sounds. We're going to chalk that up to, well, that's definitely demonic activity in the house. Hold up. Maybe, maybe not. One of the things I've learned over the years that I've had on this planet and studying magic and studying energy, studying emotions and communicating and connecting with people both on the scientific side and on the spiritual side is that we human beings are powerfully creative entities. At the collective level, we are amazingly powerful, creative beings. Now, if we're in a home, let's just say that there is something going on there. Maybe there's a spirit of somebody still that used to live there or passing through, maybe they move some stuff around or you, you see the apparition of this person. We are trained through TVs, through movies, all these kind of things to fear the paranormal. As soon as we see something like that, we go into fear mode. We're like, uh oh, uh oh, this is a demon. There's something bad in my house. I don't know what to do with it. I'm scared. Well, every emotion you feel has an energy associated with it. And if you continue to put out that emotional state, you're creating an energy field all around you. And that energy, if it is continuous, let's say it's a fear energy, can form a little ball of fear energy that it's called a thought form. It is a form of thought that exists in this ball of energy of fear. And when it starts running low on its energy, it'll poke you with fear energy. And you'll feel that fear. And you're like, oh, no, there's something watching me. There's something in this room. And it's like, oh, finally, I got fed. That's what I needed from you. And then it'll float around. And let's say it connects with another energy that is anger energy. And it's going to poke you with anger. And it's like diminished. And then you were like, oh, I can't believe that person. They really pissed me off. And it grows big. Now, imagine the fear and the anger grow together. And now they have a little bit more of a complex thought. And they're in your house and they're creating fear and anger and all of this negativity. You suddenly think you've got a demonic force in your house, but really it's you generating that energy. It's really you creating that one because we are powerfully creative beings. We can do that. I've seen this so many times. So what do we do is we first start by draining that energy. We clear it out of the house. It's easy enough to do that if you understand energy is just just like water, right? Think of a room full of negative energy as a fish tank full of gross, ugly water. But you can tap into source. You can tap into more of a pure, higher state of energy. And like, that's like putting a hose 
into the fish tank. You can't dump out the water. You just can't. But you could run the clean water into the tank. And if you are consistent and you are disciplined in your practice and you keep with it, you keep with it, you keep with it, eventually the dirty water is going to flow out of the tank. And the tank is going to be filled with this nice clean water and the quote unquote demonic activity stops. So how do you fix paranormal problems in the house? You start with yourself. You change your way you feel. You change the way you think about the world. You change the way you experience your world from the inside so that you take charge of the energy of your inner being that affects the energy of the world around you and the home around you. And that these negative thoughts and these negative energies cannot exist anymore. So it really comes down to changing your inner world to change the state around you. I love that. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.